0: As just as a, a refresher, what I'd like to do is just recap the last few weeks. Because um, we're seeing something unfold before our eyes that I just, I don't want us to miss. And it's easy to gloss over such a, an in-your-face aspect. Is as A few weeks ago we heard um, Chris, our guest preacher, preach about how Jesus called the first disciples. Right? So he calls Peter and a couple of other of the guys, and he says, look, I'm going to make you um, fisher of men. I'm gonna, you're going to catch men from, from now on, no longer um, fish, although they would still use that as an occupation. Jesus is setting out the mission for the disciples. And so, a good question that we can ask, that I'm sure Peter in his mind is thinking, is what in the world does that look like then? You want me to to catch men? What does that look like? Well, Luke writing an orderly account, but but Jesus also being a teacher says, well, I'm going to show you, you're going to come with me. And so last week we saw Jesus define his mission and there's no doubt that the disciples were there with him. He says to the Pharisees who were scoffing at him while he was eating at Levi's house with a bunch of tax collectors and, and thugs and prostitutes and drunkards, I haven't come to heal the, uh, a physician doesn't come to to heal the healthy. A physician comes for the sick. Just like I haven't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And so from this point forward, we need to put it on the front of our minds. And I'm going to try to do the best that I possibly can to remind us that the disciples are constantly with Jesus being taught on what it's going to look like for them to disciple others when he leaves. So as Jesus is sitting at Levi's house, the disciples are sitting with Jesus, hearing this go on. And so we come to the passage that we are at today. Picks up at the same setting. Still at Levi's, still eating, still drinking. The disciples are still there. And so we see this conversation unfold between Jesus and the Pharisees. As the Pharisees ask, why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? And Jesus makes an incredible remark by saying, well, it's not, it's not time to, to mourn. It's time to, to be happy. And then he, he goes into two parables um, that most likely left his hearers completely confused. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray for our time. Well, I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray that God would just enlighten us to his word. And then we're going to make a few observations. So starting in verse 33 of chapter 5 says this. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do, the, so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment, and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst. The, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says the old is good. Father, we come before you asking that this morning you would enlighten our hearts to what your word has to say. So that we are more like your son Jesus. Father, I I specifically want to pray for my brothers and sisters. That you would use this time as an encouragement. Or if need be, that you would convict them of their sin that they've been living in. And Father, would you please awaken and stir the, the hearts of all people who are in here this morning to treasure your son Jesus because he is, he is worthy of all praise. And, and so we ask that When we come to this passage this morning, that you would allow me to be faithful to it and that you would allow the ears of people to be open and the hearts receptive so that we would be transformed and made into the likeness and image of your son, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, who is worthy to be praised. Amen. When I was in, in high school, I, I was a huge basketball nerd, right? I, I eventually got the privilege of going to college and playing basketball at a college level. But, but basketball was one thing growing up that made me so incredibly happy. But there was a a time when I completely and utterly dreaded anything that had to do with basketball in high school. I hated having to practice. I hated having to play. I, I just didn't want to do with anything. So, what I would do is I just grit my teeth and bared my way through those times. You know, I could never figure out during that time why something that made me so incredibly happy brought me so much dread and it actually wasn't until recently the the past few years where I started to realize why that was. See what I had done was I turned a game that made me happy into a chore. I I looked at rules and things that I had to do and and I I made it a chore. I made it a checklist that if I do this, 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 and this, then I'm good. And I just need to put in that much time and effort. And so what continued to happen then as I started doing that, is I started looking at teammates and saying, well, if they're not doing this, then, then that's no fair surely they need to do what I'm also doing. And if not, what happened was judgment, resentment, and superiority started setting in. I'm better than them because I put in more time. See, this is just one aspect of that, but I'm sure you can think of anything. Whether it's your work or maybe a musical instrument that you played or, I I don't know, a a sports team that you like or, or, Or something, you you name it. See, the Bible has a clear word for these type of people. And we actually see these type of people in our passage. And we need to be on guard lest we become like these people. Because this is what a religious zealot is. See, religious zealots are unhappy people because they live by a set of rules and standards and checklists and then expect others to live by those rules that then you've set up in your life. See, but what's incredible in our passage today is that Jesus is fighting back against that thought. And we come to this passage and we see that followers of Jesus Followers of Jesus are to be happy. Because the kingdom of God has come. And look, I I know. Now, trust me, I've been here now for, for six months, and this has been one of the, the best six months of my life. But I'm looking at some of you, and I know that you're thinking, how in the world are followers of Jesus to be happy well let's look at this passage and see see we we come to the first view few verses here verses 33 and 34 and and we see what it looks like to be a a legalistic hypocrite what it looks like when legalism creeps in and then the next verse we we actually get to see something incredible That Jesus is is spelling out for us why we are to be happy. But we come to that that first verse, and we pick off where we left off last week. We're in Levi's house, where where Jesus is eating and drinking with his disciples and the tax collectors and other sinners. And out of a very judgmental heart, the the Pharisees ask this question, Why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? Jesus. John's disciples fast, and they pray often, and and so do the Pharisees. The Pharisees' disciples fast as well. See, the Pharisees right here aren't asking Jesus as a genuine question. They're trying to catch Jesus in the act. They're they're trying to prove that he's trying to start a rebellion, a, a revolt against the law. Because at that time, everyone knew that a good Jewish person would have fasted. And, and if you were a Pharisee, you would have fasted twice a week, as Luke 18, 12 points out to us. Right? It's this scene where the tax collector and the Pharisee are in the temple and the, the tax collector is on his knees, beating his chest, basically saying, I am a no good dirty sinner. And the Pharisees standing over looking at this tax collector and is also praying to God in points and says, well, at least I'm not like this guy. Ah, God, I fast twice a week. And so what we see happening here is an encounter Of a judgmental heart seeping out of the Pharisees. What their heart is screaming is, I'm doing this. I'm obeying the law. I'm better than these no good dirty sinners, these these spiritual outcasts. Jesus, why aren't your disciples doing this? If, If you really are the Messiah, then you would tell your disciples to fast as well. See, what these Pharisees are doing and who these Pharisees are, are being like is is like that, that little kid. I've been in children's ministry long enough before I came here to to recognize these kids that are quick to come up to you and start saying, look, look what I've done. Look what I've done. I, I've done this. And as soon as one of the, the kids start acting out, they're really quick to point out and say, ah, what, but they're, they're not doing what you said to do. As I was preparing for this, I thought of one encounter of, Of a kid who who came up and and listed all of the great things he did that week. But as soon as the teacher said, sit down, and, and another kid sat down against the wall and not in his chair, this kid came running up to me. He's not sitting in a chair, he's sitting on the wall. See, this is what the Pharisees are doing right here. Why aren't they doing that, Jesus? And what we see is one of the most incredible responses. See, Jesus, he uses this beautiful analogy of a wedding. He tells them, would you ask people that are invited to a wedding to fast? Well, of course you wouldn't. A wedding is one of the most joyous, happy times in a person's life. So why are you telling me that my disciples need to fast? The bridegroom is in their presence. Ecclesiastes, they they should have known this because Ecclesiastes even tells them this. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there's there's a time to, to mourn. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry, and there's a time to dance. And what Jesus is He's saying right here is bust out your dancing shoes. It's a time of celebration. I know we're Baptists, but but that's what the verse says. It's a time of, of happiness. The Messiah is is here. It's not a time to fast, it's a time to celebrate. But just in case if then people take it too far Jesus does follow up and say but there will be a time to fast as the bridegroom is taken. And so what Jesus is doing right here is for the first time in Luke's account of this gospel is Jesus is Actually, um, he is telling them about his death. See, Jesus says the bridegroom is going to be taken. Not the bridegroom is going to leave. He's going to be ripped away by deceitful, angry, jealous people. We see this as the... Pharisees, scribes, and religious elite are constantly trying to plot against Jesus to kill him. And so we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard from the pull of legalism because let's just be real right here. Every single person's heart in this room and every single person that has ever existed on this earth has a pull to legalism one way or another. Right when, when I was younger, I, I thought what legalism looked like was the, the, the college that I had first gone to. So I had to, I had to dress up always. and, and um, No, literally, like, like I would go to work out for basketball, think that it was okay to go to the dining room to eat dinner in my shorts and in my cut-off shirt, and I would, I would get approached and told that you've got to go back and put on some nice pants and a collared shirt, before it's bedtime. Like you had to wear that until and and so I'm sitting here freaking out like what in the world? I can't even I can't even just relax after practice? Or like like there was a, a curfew and bedtime and here I'm thinking, I'm 18 years old and you're gonna have me have a bedtime now? And so in my mind, that's exactly what I thought legalism was. However, what I didn't realize is I was being legalistic in my own heart too, because it works both ways. If what legalism is, is setting up a standard of rules for other people to live by, well, what I was saying was those rules are stupid. They should listen to my rules. Legalism works both ways. We're all prone to legalism. And you know what happens when a person's heart is full of a legalistic mentality? You become unhappy. You become grumpy. And let's just, let's just face the fact, you just become no fun to be around. But what Jesus is showing us here And what he just lays out for us is that followers of Jesus are to be happy in Jesus. Because on that day when you were were called and you repented of your sins, you were invited into the wedding feast. You were literally invited into the celebration. And so you are to be happy in Jesus. But maybe a good question to ask right now is why is there a celebration even going on in the first place? Right? Because when I'm saying this, something that's easy that could happen is you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm to be happy in Jesus, but my life circumstances are just awful right now. Well, praise God that our happiness is not in life circumstances, but in what the celebration is about. See, as we come to the next verses, verses 35 through 39, Jesus uses this pretty strange parable as he's talking about the new and the old and the old and and the new. And the first one that we come to is he's talking about clothes. What do clothes have to do with fasting or what do clothes have to do with a wedding? Well, I guess a lot of things have to do with clothes when it comes to weddings, but Jesus tells them, you don't go and get a new garment and cut out a piece of that new garment so that way you can fix your old garment. Why? Well, because you ripped the new garment. And let's just be frank here. The, the new patch with the old garment just looks silly, just looks ridiculous. And what we are told in the other Gospels is, is Well, when you wash that old garment, the new garment's going to shrink that's on there and it's just going to rip both of them. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a ripped old garment and a ripped new garment, right? This is the equivalent if I go to Target and say I'm going to get a pair of jeans that are like 75 bucks, cut out just using those jeans just to cut out and patch up my old jeans. That's ridiculous, isn't it? See, Jesus isn't making a, a fashion statement here. What's incredible about this is he's relating this point to the old and, and the new covenant, right? Jeremiah 31, I'm going to read it for us. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 say, say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judea. Judah, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them... To the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus is using this new garment and old garment analogy as an analogy for the new covenant and old covenant. There is a hole in the old covenant. Jesus isn't saying, I'm not coming just to patch that up. I'm coming to fulfill it and replace it. So we get to the next parable, one about wine. So, in case this first parable isn't enough, he, he uses a, a second parable for us. He says, the, the, you, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Because what will happen is the new wine will cause the old wineskins to burst. See, during that time, what, what, what they would do is, is they would take new wine and put it in new wineskins. Because over time, the wine would ferment in those new skins and it would actually expand the wineskins. And so if you were to put new wine into old wineskins, something that was already expanded, the wineskin would expand so much that it would burst. What Jesus is saying here is nobody wants a bursted wineskin because then you can't use it for other things and nobody wants new wine that's uh, undrinkable. It would waste both of them. And Jesus is making this correlation again of the Old and, and the New Covenant. But he doesn't stop here this time. Instead, he drives this point even further along. As he says, no one who, who drinks the old wine is going to want the new wine. They're going to say the old wine is better tasting wine. It's, it's better wine. Jesus is, is calling out and drawing out their heart that loves the tradition of the law. He's saying, you're so steeped in in the tradition of the law that you can't see that the new wine is fermenting before your very eyes. And that you're going to be in love so much with this old wine that you're totally and utterly going to forsake the new wine. And we see this so clearly once again as the Pharisees continue to plot against Jesus to kill him. See this is why we can be happy followers of Jesus. It's because Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. The new covenant is is here. What God had told Abraham all the way back all of those years ago that he would send a son, an offspring through Abraham that would be a blessing to the nations is here. And so why, Jesus is saying, would we mourn at that? It's not a time to mourn. It's not a time to fast. It's a time to celebrate and be happy. And so on that day, on that great day when you repented of your sins and believed, you were made a co-heir to the kingdom of God. You were invited into this great celebration. And because of that, You could be a happy follower of Jesus. It's not the life circumstances that make you a happy follower. This is one of the the dangerous side effects of the word faith prosperity gospel, is it not? Something's obviously going wrong, so I must have done something to get God angry at me. So obviously he's thrown this lightning bolt down and has caused my life to go up in shambles. Well, that's not, not the case. He loves his children. And although we have such small perception on what's going on in this life, it's hard to to see past that. Unless your eyes are fixed on the glorious cross. And so this is what I want to do for us. I'm going to conclude, but before I do, I want us to take a test. I want us to take a test that maybe draws out our hearts, because nobody thinks they're legalistic. Nobody does. The Pharisees thought that they were, they were fighting for the law. They were fighting for God. And so, so nobody thinks they're legalistic on, on both sides. Uh, well, Naturally. So this is a question that I ask myself and I just want us to take some time to, to think about. What makes me a follower of Jesus? So just just take some time. Answer that question. What makes you a follower of Jesus? Maybe maybe some of the answers that, that people were thinking about goes something like this. What makes me a follower of Jesus is that I attend church. Or I, I pray or I'm, I'm pretty diligent with reading my Bible or, or I'm, I'm a pretty nice person now or I don't struggle as much anymore with my anger or my sexual lust or I don't really lie as much as I used to or I'm, I'm trying to pray for people or even evangelize and tell people about the gospel. That's what makes me a follower of Jesus. However, I just want to push back against that a little bit because when we say this is what makes me a follower of Jesus, what are we doing? We're creating a list of rules. We're creating chores for us to do in order for us to be followers of Jesus. And because we're doing this, we we far too often then unknowingly sometimes start to judge people by our list of rules. So if they're not sharing the gospel, if they're not praying or reading their Bible, then obviously they're either not a Christian or they're pretty, they're pretty much a, a baby Christian. Because I'm superior over them because I've got it all figured out. See, do you know what happens when we start to think like this? is this kills evangelism, it kills discipleship, it kills church community, and it ultimately kills the church. Don't hear me saying that these things aren't good things. But the only thing that makes me a follower of Jesus is Jesus himself. Because if Jesus hadn't died for my sins and rose from the grave and ascended to the Father's right hand, then there's no way that I could be a follower of Jesus. And so... The only right answer for this is Jesus. Because when our lens is that Jesus died for my sins and that's what makes me a follower of Jesus, then it's through, those, through that one very important thing that I want to evangelize. And I get to disciple. And I have a church that I want to be in community with. Legalism is seriously such a sly and tricky thing. From the beginning, this is what Adam and Eve were dealing with. And when legalism creeps in, we just become unhappy followers of Jesus. But what Jesus is telling us is that we can be happy because of what he has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel right there. That Jesus took on flesh He who knew no sin became sin in order to die for those sinners. Lived a perfect life, fulfilling all of the law perfectly. Taking on our wrath and judgment. Dying one of the most gruesome deaths known to man in history. Being buried in three days rising again and ascending to the Father's right hand. Brothers and sisters, this is why we can be happy in Jesus. It's because our circumstances aren't placed on us. My standing with God does not depend on me and praise God for that. But neither does yours. And so you can rejoice in that this morning so maybe you're also in here but you're thinking yeah he's sticking it to those religious legalistic Christians I'm glad I'm not a part of those people I just want to ask you does life actually make you happy those non-believers that that are in here. Does, Does life actually genuinely satisfy your happiness? Or do you move on to one thing after another, trying to find happiness? See, this is the good news, is that there is no sin that outweighs God's grace. And this very day, this very moment... You can find eternal happiness by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. So, so put simply, on one of the ends of the spectrum, far too often we say, God loves me because what I can offer him. We may not verbalize it that way, but that's really how we live. What happens then is we create those list of rules to live by, which ultimately leads to us constantly judging ourselves and judging others and never resting in our identity as a follower of Jesus. It just makes us unhappy and grumpy. But on the other side, we have also the people that say, well, because Jesus died for my sins, now I can just live however I want to. I've got my fire insurance in my wallet. I can show you. What happens then is we continue to live in sin, throwing on more guilt and shame onto our backs, creating our own list of rules that we get to live by, which causes us to be unhappy followers of Jesus. But, when we look to treasure Jesus every single day by remembering him as often as we possibly can, we will be remembered. We, we, will, we will be reminded by the Holy Spirit that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. I mean, we, we then just can't help but being happy followers of Jesus in good times, and in bad. Legalism is a secretly seductive partner in this life that we must fight against. But there is liberation and hope and happiness in Jesus. So let us run and fight daily to be happy in Jesus by reminding ourselves, the pressure is not on me. Jesus took all of that pressure. And you know what? He did a pretty good job. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. We thank you that... Because of Jesus, we can enter into this magnificent and glorious relationship with you that through your son, Jesus, he took on our sins, took the righteous wrath and judgment that we deserve and died for our sins. And so because of that, we can find hope. We can find our happiness in Jesus. We can actually come and celebrate because we have been invited into this great wedding feast. So I ask that those that may feel just weighed down by life's circumstances, that they can walk out of here feeling hopeful, treasuring Jesus more. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.